Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. Um, if you're here for the first time, so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. Uh, we hope and pray that week after week this would be a place and we would be a people where we find ongoing renewal and hope um, and just restoration in Jesus. You know, last week as we celebrated four years in the life of our church, y'all, it was just such a blessing to me. Just like, just celebrating all that God has done over the past four years and, and praying for the next four years. But when we gather together as God's people and we pray and we uh, just share a meal together and, and live in community, God, God does a mighty work. I mean, just me, myself, I was filled with so much faith just by hearing you guys pray. There's something about just praying together that builds our faith and uh, just dreaming and praying for about all that God could do in the years ahead. Um, but today we continue to do what we always do, and we're going to preach the Word. Um, and as we get into our text today, uh, the end of chapter Luke chapter 4, we're going to see why the Word of God is so powerful, why it's so important, and why it's so great. You know, my hope for today is that we would walk out of here wanting more of God's Word that we would just be craving the Bible, seeing the Word as just an incredible weapon that has been given to us to battle against sin and evil and to walk in holiness. Because what I know to be true about my own life is that there is often a direct correlation with my own spiritual health, my spiritual vibrancy and my own faith, and also to how much I'm just feasting on the Word. And when I say feasting on the Word, I mean studying it and reading it, me- meditating on it, memorizing it, praying it, sharing it with others. And, and you know, I'm just like the rest of us. I, we all go through seasons where we crave the Word and we're delighting in it, but we also go through seasons where we're just, it, maybe it's just more of a discipline uh, than a delight to be in the Word. Um, this is just kind of part of walking with Jesus. But New City, God's Word, the Bible, it is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us as followers of Jesus. It has incredible power and authority in our lives that I think is just kind of easy to lose sight of or forget or maybe to not fully understand. Which gets right to our main idea for today, and it's that God's Word is powerful and transformative. It has the authoritative power to change a person's life. Like there is a unique power and authority that comes with God's word. There's, it's, it's unlike any other words that have ever been written or that have ever been said in the history of the world. I mean, just think about it from a biblical perspective. We see in the book of Genesis that God created the world with his words. I mean, God literally spoke the world into existence with his words. We see it on repeat in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and, and God spoke, and there, were light. there was light. God said, let, let uh, the water gather together. He spoke it, and it happened. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. He spoke it, and it happened. God said, let us make man in our image, and it happened. Everything that was begin- created at the beginning of time, it happened through God's spoken words. I mean, there is, without a doubt, there is a supernatural power that is associated with the Word of God. 
There's a supernatural power that comes in with the Bible. There's, there are no other words that exist that hold this type of power and authority. And, and yes, there are certainly authoritative documents like the law or the Constitution and contracts and other legal documents. And yes, they hold authority, but it's not a supernatural authority. We can be thankful for things like the Constitution and the law and all sorts of these, these other legal documents that have authoritative, that like, uh, have some sort of authority, but at the end of the day, they don't have the power to create the world, cast out demons, transform a person's heart, and to provide supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. But guess what? God's Word does. The Word of God, it is one of the single greatest gifts that God has given to us to find peace, to battle sin, to walk in holiness, and to be reminded and just kind of regrounded in all of the in all of what we believe. It's a tool for our faith. And so again, my hope for today is that we would just leave here longing and craving for more of God's Word. And so let's look at our first two verses out of our text, out, out of God's Word. Look at uh, Luke 4, 31 and 32. This is what it says. And he went down to Capernaum, speaking of Jesus, the city of Galilee, and he was, a, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. There it is. Immediately, we see the authoritative power of the words of Jesus. It says his word possessed authority. Jesus' words have power. And just to get us up to speed here, you know, last week we saw Jesus. He was rejected from his hometown. Uh, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Apparently him talking about Elijah and Elisha saying that he was better than them. That didn't go so well. And so here we see him going into a different city, going to a place called Capernaum. And he was there teaching on the Sabbath. And they noticed that when Jesus taught, people listened. There was something noticeably different about when Jesus taught. He taught with authority and power. And the people noticed. Again, it said Jesus' word possessed authority. It had a power. It had power, leading us to our first of four points today. Uh, number one, the power of God's word. I know we've already talked about this a little bit uh, today, but I want to continue to talk about it more because this truth, it's, in ma- it's massively important to how we shape our lives, our schedules, and even our church. Like the reason we spend so much time every Sunday preaching the word is because there is great power that comes through the Bible. And we must be clear, the person preaching and teaching does not possess that authority. No, the authority is found in the Word of God. Whoever is up here preaching, if you walk away thinking, man, they're a really good speaker, full transparency, we've totally missed it. The goal is not for you to be impressed by a person. The goal is for us to be enthralled by God's Word. I mean, Martin Luther was one, the one who often emphasized that in the preaching event, we shouldn't walk away thinking, man, what a great preacher but rather what a great savior. When we walk away from hearing the word preached and taught and prayed over and spoken, the hope is to want more of the word and to want more of Jesus. When we preach expositional sermons week after week, trying to expose the text, uh, trying to expose the word of God and to illuminate the Bible, because there is a big difference between adding the Bible into what we have to say versus explaining and talking about what the Bible says. One comes from the authoritative word of God and the other comes from creativity of a human. And when we gather in groups throughout the week, we get into the Word, we study it, we talk about it, we build our community around the Word. New City, every single day we wake up. Our most important meeting of the day is our meeting with Jesus and His Word. It's when we come to God and His Word and pray the Word and talk with the Lord in prayer. That is one of the most important things we do every day. We talked about this in the past. 
But, but studies have shown that one of the single greatest spiritual disciplines from where all other spiritual disciplines g- grow is the discipline of just slow and unhurried time in the Word of God. When we're daily spending time with Jesus in the Word, in a slow and just unrushed way, praying the Word, reading the Word, just being saturated in the Word, we're going to be more equipped to fight sin. And out of that, we're also going to want to gather in community with other brothers and sisters. We're going to want to seek accountability. We're going to want to pray more. We're going to be more likely to share the gospel and live on mission and serve others. And why is this? Well, because God's Word has the power and authority to transform our hearts and lives. I mean, us giving a motivational speech may pump you up for about 20 minutes, but God's word, it's going to transform your entire life. But along those same lines, I also want to say that just reading your Bible every day doesn't automatically equate to spiritual health. Simply knowing God's word, that doesn't change you. As we'll see today, and as we saw two weeks ago, even the devil and the demons, they knew the word of God. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer wrote a book called Practicing the Way. He talks about discipleship, and one of the things he points out in that book is that, you know, early on in the life of a believer, there is a direct correlation between learning the Bible and your spiritual growth. Like, it's incredibly important, and it's incredibly significant uh, to be taught the Bible and to know know what the Word says. And with new believers, the, the need is incredibly great. The fruit that comes out of that is, like, remarkably, multiplyingly, which I don't even think is a word, transformational. It, will, it changes our lives. It brings about awareness of a new way of living, and it shows a new right, it shows a new wrong, and God uses the word to transform us, which means we have to teach the Bible. We need to know the word. It's massively important. But the author, John Mark Comer, he also goes on to say that over time, more Bible knowledge doesn't always equate to more spiritual growth. And please, what I'm not saying I'm not saying we, as we grow in maturity, we stop studying the Word and reading, reading our Bible. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point at all. But what I am saying is that as we grow, grow, we need more than just knowing what the Bible says. Yes, knowing the Word is massively important, but we have to understand that what we know in our heads, it has to make it into our hearts, and it also has to transform our lives. Because I think we can agree that we can know the Word but not obey it. We can know the word and not love it and, not, and have not any authority over our lives. We can know what the word says, but be totally indifferent to it and not faced by it. And the reason the word has so much authority is because it comes directly from God. As we've seen in the past few weeks, y'all, y'all the devil, he knows the word, but he didn't love it. No, he hated it. My six-year-old daughter asked me this week. I thought it was great. She said, Dad, would you rather teach the Bible to Satan or a bad guy? Excellent question from a six-year-old. I loved it. And I said, a bad guy. Every day of the week, 10 out of 10 times, I would teach, teach to, to the bad guy. And I told her that I would do that because Satan, he already knows the word. In, the fa- in fact, he probably knows it better than I do. But he rejected it. He denied it. And he wanting nothing with it. But that six-year-old label, bad guy, God's word, it could radically transform their life and then turn that bad guy into a good guy that then teaches others the word. And so church, again, my hope for today is that we would leave here just craving God's word in a relational and just a very personal way. You know, when the word is seen as nothing more than old and an old impersonal literature book and rule book that tells me what I can and can't do, it loses all of its power. 
But when we see the Bible as coming directly from the mouth of God, sent as a letter, letter empowered by the Spirit of God, given directly to us with supernatural power as a God-given tool for our benefit, given as an act of love and grace, it's radically transformative. And so in our text today, we see Jesus going around teaching, and the people notice this transforming power that was in Jesus' words. Look what happened next in verse 33 and 34. This is the first of two encounters that we're going to see today. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So just, just imagine the scene here. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, doing what he does best, uh, doing, just kind of teaching the people. And he sees a man with an unclean demon physically in the synagogue. And we don't know what he looked like, but we know that Jesus knew that he had a demon. And some of you may find this fascinating, and some of you may be a bit strange because we're about to step our toe into the supernatural deep end talking about demons. So hang with me here. Because again, if we're going to talk about ministry and building the kingdom of God and pushing back darkness, we need to be aware and understand the nature of the enemy's army, which does include demons. Like we live in a world that has a supernatural realm which includes angels and demons. And I know for the skeptic out there, this may seem a little strange talking about demons. And I know maybe it can give us a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. But from an intellectual and logical standpoint, if we can believe that God created the world, that Jesus rose from the dead, and we can also believe that believing in angels and demons is not too far of a jump. I mean, R.C. Sproul, uh, he, the, the theologian R.C. Sproul, he referenced his theology pre professor in one of his books. Uh, he said that we can't study theology, which is the study of God, without, without demonology. Like if we're going to study the kingdom of God and who God is, we also need to beware of the enemy and his army, which I can say I did not take a class on demonology in seminary. It does seem like a bit of a dark hole, but we can't stick our head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist. You know, about six months ago, I went on a pastor's retreat and the pastor I was staying with, we stayed up like way past my bedtime talking about like demons and demonology just for hours. Um, not really sure how we got there, but we got there and it was fascinating uh, and very thought provoking. And it was not like a, a really dark conversation, but it was very biblical. We were looking at what the word says about demons. We were looking at what the Bible says and using the Bible as parameters. But all of this to say, we have to acknowledge that we see demons in the Bible just like we see angels in the Bible. And as we look out in our world, we can know that there is good and there is evil. And again, if we can believe that angels exist, we can also believe that demons exist. And, and y'all, this may seem strange to you, and that's fine. Like maybe, maybe you didn't come today to church today thinking we were going to talk about casting out demons, which, uh, again, we teach the Bible, a new city, and the Bible talks about demons, and so here we are. And y'all, I've, I've been asked many times to, to pray and cast out demons, and I do it. I, I do pray. Um, and and all the, most of the ones that I've prayed for, each one have seemed like just totally normal people. Emotionally, spiritually speaking, they believed they were being attacked, and so I prayed for them. Again, maybe this is crazy, maybe not, but I've had dreams. Like recently had dreams in the past few months where a demon is pestering me in my sleep. And while I'm sleeping in my dreams, I'm praying out loud in my dream while I'm sleeping, get behind me, Satan, because Jesus is Lord. And maybe it was a nightmare, Maybe I had too much sugar the night before. I have no idea. Uh, but you better believe I woke up in the middle of the night and went straight to the Word. 
Y'all, I've, I've been to parts of the world where I'm walking out in the streets with the intent of advancing the gospel in an extremely unreached country, and people have come up to me with big, wide eyes, getting into my face, growling and grunting. Maybe it was drugs, maybe it was a mental issue, but they kind of seemed demon-possessed to me. And so I said under my breath, get behind me, Satan. The, ne- the name of Jesus will reign in this place. We've had college students. We've had a college student about two years ago go on a trip with a team from New City, and he was asked to cast out a demon in a lady that was very visibly in physical turmoil. And so he prayed over her, and she walked away visibly changed. Six months later, she gets baptized, and she's now following Jesus. And I bring this up, one, because I think we can be quick to dismiss any sort of demonic spiritual warfare or just ignore it because maybe we think it's strange or weird, but we have to at least have a category for it. But two, we also need to be aware that our understanding of the demonic could potentially be more influenced by horror films in Hollywood than the Bible. And we also have to say that no, not every sin is associated directly to a demon. No, we're also fallen human people who are still wrestling with, with our flesh and sinful desires. But we also have to understand that yes, part of the enemy's tool belt are demons and the demonic. Again, we have to acknowledge it's, it's also more than that because the way in which we saw the, de- uh, the devil tempt Jesus out in the wilderness, it is different than how we see uh, in our, what we see in our story today. Both are real and true, but they're also different. But all that said, when Jesus saw a man in a synagogue possessed by a demon, it was confirmed by what the demon said. Look again at what he said at verse 34. He said, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You all, the demon laughed at Jesus, and he knew exactly who Jesus was. He called him the Holy One of God. He knew the facts of Jesus. He knew his name. He knew where he was from. He knew who he claimed to be, but yet the demon totally rejected Jesus, which reminds us again that we can know the Bible, know a lot of Bible verses, and still not truly know God. Again, even the demons know the Bible. The devil knows the Bible. But again, it's one thing to know it. It's an entirely different thing to submit to its authority and ha- it having directing direction over your life. Look at what Jesus said back in verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Again, Jesus rebuked the demon and the demon left. The demon submitted to Jesus' authoritative word. And look what it says next in verse 36. 37. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding Jesus. So again, everyone present, they recognized that when Jesus spoke, it had authority and power and and specifically over the demonic, leading us to see number two, the power of God's word over the demonic. And I love this Because with all of what we've just talked about, again, this can seem a little creepy and weird and pretty intense. I get it. Talking about demons, it's a dark place to go, but we have to see in our text is that there is no reason to fear the demonic. If we are a child of God in Christ, the demons have no power over us. Because as we see directly into our text, when Jesus spoke, the demons listened. When the Holy Spirit lives in our heart, it leaves no space for the demonic to possess us like we see in our text. New City, there is not one example in Scripture of a follower of Jesus being possessed by a demon. Pestered by demons on the outside, yes. Spiritually possessed by demons entering a person's heart and soul, no. And I'm not bringing this up so that we're all fearfully on the lookout for demons. That's not why this is important. The reason this is significant is because it emphasizes the power of the Word of God over the enemy's attacks. 
Casting out a demon doesn't come from human authority, but from biblical authority. It comes from the power of the word, from the power of the spirit of God by any person who calls Jesus Lord. All those who call Jesus Lord. It's like we have an atomic, uh, supernatural atomic bombs against the devil and its armies. Then they don't have a fighting chance against it. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, what did Jesus repeatedly quote? The Bible. Again, we have the word hidden in our heart. And when we're meditating on God's word, the enemy's ammo is disarmed. When God's word is at the forefront of our life and we're dwelling on the word and consuming the word and our heart and soul is put at ease in the demons, they run and flee. You see, one of the, dangers, the greatest dangers that we face in our current cultural context, I would say, is apathy just towards God and his word. And again, I would also say one of the reasons our American culture doesn't often see a lot of the demonic realm is because the enemy has found other strongholds to put into our life that seem to work pretty well, maybe even a little bit better. Yes, the demons, uh, the demonic, it seems intense and it can drive us to the word. But if the enemy can keep us away from the word in other ways, maybe by apathy or distractions or addictions, whatever it is, you name it. Why would the enemy not just do that? If one of our greatest weapons against the enemy's schemes is the word of God, our enemy is going to do whatever he can to keep us from the word. Y'all, we must get this. As followers of Jesus... Our guard against the enemy and sin and the demonic is not to look for demons under every bush, but rather to be saturated with God's word. Our God-given weapon is to proclaim scripture over our lives and proclaim it into the lives of other people around us. You know, we, we've, last week we spent a lot of time talking about the past four years and the next four years in the life of our church. And what I'm praying for for our church is just more word saturation. Just more personal, uh, personal, person-to-person Bible proclamation, encouraging one another with the word, declaring it over one another's lives, and praying the scriptures, just praying the scriptures over one another. And I know this is happening in our groups and serve teams, but we're praying that this would take root and just deeply multiply across our church. And this, just, this isn't just for defeating the demonic. No, this is part of God's means for battling sin and doubt and unbelief and apathy. This is for gospel uh, advancement and kingdom building. And when God's word is flourishing in our heart and mind, our love for God and our holiness and our faith, it grows with it. I'm telling you, like we have an incredible weapon that is given to us uh, in our hands and, and, and given to our hearts that's called the Bible. It's the word of God. But we need to keep moving because that's our first encounter. Let's get to our second. Now, the first was with the demon and the second will be with a sickness. Look what it says next. And he arose and left, in verse 38, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. Again, just imagine the scene here. Jesus, he just uh, had been teaching in the synagogue. He just casted out a demon. And I'd like to think maybe he was a little tired, uh, maybe a little hungry. I know from personal experience taking a nap after church, uh, it could be a great, it's needed. So Jesus, he went to his uh, friend Simon's house, uh, who we also know as Peter. And we see this, uh, that, that uh, Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And Luke, he's a doctor. Um, he tells us a little bit more than we see in Matthew and Mark's account. Um, he, Luke tells us that she had a fever. And what we know is that they didn't have ibuprofen for the fever. No, she was really sick, uh, like I'm guessing like get, couldn't get out of bed, sick type of fever. I'm guessing if it were us, it would s- probably send us to the emergency room today. And so Jesus, he walks in and look what he does in verse 39. This is what it says. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Luke here is emphasizing what Jesus said. 
We don't know exactly what he said, but he, he said something that rebuked the fever. In, in Matthew and Mark's account, it emphasizes that he reached out his hand and lifted her up. But here in Luke, we see another authoritative response. We see God's word is powerful uh, from what he says directly from Jesus. Again, it says he rebuked the fever. And we don't know exactly what this rebuking involved, but it is fair to say that Jesus was not happy uh, with the sickness. No, he rebuked this fever like a boss. But we also have to understand that Jesus recognizes sickness is the result of the fall. Like any sort of sickness or disease, um, that was never part of God's plan. New City, sickness exists because the world is broken. When we experience sickness or when we see sickness, uh, it's a firsthand experience knowing that we live in a fallen world. Just, just the pain and the discomfort, the unknown, all the ways it can hinder our day and keep us from living out our God-given purpose. This was not the way that God intended it. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he rebukes the fever. And what happens? The fever leaves. And then she gets up and she serves them uh, in their home and she uses her gifts, kind of extends hospitality, seeing number three, the power of God's word over the sick. Again, when Jesus rebukes the fever, the fever listens. When God speaks, things happen. When God commands the wind and the waves to be still, they go still. When God commands evil spirits to leave, they leave. When God rebukes a sickness, the sickness leaves. And I want to say firsthand, I don't know why God heals some sicknesses and not others. Like, we don't see that answer here. And I don't know why we can lay hands on people, pray over people, they walk into the doctor and nothing is there. They're healed and then do the exact same thing and our prayers seem to go unanswered. And I don't know the answers to the why for every situation, but I do know that God sees it all and that God knows it all and that God's wisdom is infinite and we're not. Like, there are things in our life, like sickness, that happen to us, that happen to others. And in those moments, we have to remember to trust that God is good and that God cares. Even when we can't see it or even when it doesn't feel like it or we're just struggling with all of these things, we, we, in all situations, we have to trust that God cares and that God is good and that, God, that has held, this has held true from eternity past and it still holds true today. But what I also know is that God has the power and authority to make any disease and any sickness leave in an instant just by the sheer power of his word. And so when we get sick or others around us get sick, our first response should always be to pray. Just praying for God to move and to heal. And I'll be the first to admit, I, sometimes when I get a headache or a fever, I just go straight for the ibuprofen. And we must see this as just a simple reminder that our sickness and any sickness, it should lead us to pray and grieve the brokenness of the world uh, it's just a reminder that it's not supposed to be this way. And then we can also thank God for the common grace of medicine and doctors and health care. And we pray, and then we can also take the medicine if needed. But I also know that oftentimes medicine, it doesn't always work. Doctors, they can't figure out the problem. Health care has limitations, and so we continue to pray. And we can pray with so much confidence knowing that God has the power to heal. And again, he can do it in an instant. God is a healer. He has the power to heal. And let's just ask, do we, do, do we believe this? Do we believe that God can heal? And as we continue here in our story, I want you to notice, Jesus didn't do it once, but he kept doing it um, with both the sickness and with demons. Um, this was one very, very full day of ministry. Um, Jesus did a lot in this one day. Look what it says in verse 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, 
And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, Jesus healed everyone that came to him and he rebuked more demons uh, with his words and with his authority and he also kept the demons from speaking. And then at the end, we saw that it said uh, because of these demons, that they, they did that because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus was healing sick. He was casting out demons all day. And then as we'll see in a second, he stopped. Like he could have kept healing people. He could have casted out more demons, but he didn't. Look what it says in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. So Jesus went to be by himself, and they found him. They didn't want him to leave because they wanted him to be the town doctor. They thought he was doing a pretty good job at this whole healing thing. But Jesus, he had different plans. Look what it says to end our chapter in verse 43 and 44. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus, he could have kept healing people. He could have kept casting out demons, but rather he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And then he said, I was sent for this purpose. He said he had to preach, he had to proclaim, he had to speak words, he had a message. He could have kept healing and casting out demons, but Jesus knew that salvation and spiritual healing was more important. Jesus knew he had good news to tell others. Jesus had words to share for other people in other towns and in other places, like here in the Tampa, like, for, like places like us, that will transform like eternity. In essence, Jesus is saying his purpose is to get the message of the scriptures that all point to him and are about him to other towns and places. Jesus' purpose was to spread that God's word was being fulfilled in Jesus, leading us to our last point for today. Number four, God's word is powerful and essential for God's mission. All throughout Jesus' ministry, everything we see him telling in these other towns is, is good news. Our Bible that shows us Jesus' ministry in the Old Testament that points to Jesus, all the letters in the New Testament, they all point to Jesus. And they share this good news that Jesus came to proclaim. Like Jesus, he came to bring good news. He came to show that he was the Messiah, uh, that he is the sufficient sacrifice. Jesus came to live the perfect life so that he could go to the cross, die, and be raised from the dead so that our sins, my sins, your sins, we can be forgiven and we can be made clean and pure by the power of the cross. Again, spreading the truths of God's word that are realized in Jesus, it is essential to the purposes of God. This is a key part to the mission of God. I mean, just think about all the people Jesus could have healed, but yet he didn't. He had other plans. Like Jesus knew that his greater purpose was to see people find spiritual healing and not just physical healing. Jesus knew that spiritual healing is primary while physical healing is secondary. Jesus knew that he could save their body, but what he knew was way more important was to see their souls saved. I mean, Jesus had to continue on for the purpose of proclaiming good news to other towns for the purpose of seeing the lost saved. Again, New City, we don't share God's word and God's truth. If we don't share God's word and God's truth, we're spreading mo just nothing more than just man-centered wisdom. 
teaching the Bible and pointing to Jesus in all that we do, it is essential to what God has called us to do. I mean, God has uh, called us and commanded us as followers of Jesus to make disciples. That's our call. And part of making disciples, part of discipleship is teaching God's word. We have to, to know the word, study it, teach it, apply it, obey it. Any ministry that has a low view of God's word is a ministry that we should just run from. Because listen, we could do a lot of things to draw a, a large crowd and do a lot of marketing and spend a lot of money to host a lot of big events. And we may do some of this. It's not innately bad. There, there can be value in it. But if we don't proclaim the gospel and we, if we don't put God's word as central to what we do, we have just totally missed it. I mean, it would be really easy just to spend all of our time thinking about social media algorithms and planning events and making awesome ads and marketing, which again, we, wanted, we, we may do some of these things and we want to do some of these things. It can be used in great ways for the kingdom of God. But as a pastor, my primary responsibility is prayer and the ministry of the word. Our primary responsibility in the mission of God is to advance the good news of the gospel. It's to do whatever we can to get God's word to these other towns and places. So a question we need to ask is how are we growing and proclaiming the good news of the gospel? How are we seeking to get the message of God's word out to those around us? You see, God has given us a supernatural tool in the word of God. Just when we open it and when we read it and we study it and teach it and just devour it, God transforms our lives. And we do this with others, it, transform our, it transforms our lives and it also transforms their lives. It can transform an entire community. This is why our midweek city groups are just so vital to the life of our church. I mean, just being in community together, around the word, praying with one another, it changes us, it transforms us. Listen, I can, I can preach the word and teach the Bible like, like we do every week here on Sundays. And I know that God uses it, the preaching event. It is a God-ordained event. But when, what we do in our groups, that's where we can take these truths, dialogue about them, wrestle with them, see others wrestle with them, and allow God to transform us by the word together. Again, our, our groups are incredibly important to the health of our people. Like if we're wanting to grow in our walk with Jesus and find community and be encouraged, no question asked. Our groups are a place where all of this is to happen. As we've been saying, we just started a new group that meets on Tuesday nights. And y'all, it's already got about 10 or 12 people in it. And y'all are praying for more. We have space in groups on almost every night of the week for more people to be able to get into the word together and to be transformed by the power of the word. Again, my hope and prayer today is that we would just see the immense value of God's word. We would long for it and crave for more of it. In fact, oh, if you've never spent time in God's word by yourself, just outside of a church gathering or in a small group setting, maybe the Lord could be leading you, maybe just to do a 21-day challenge. Maybe get into the book of Philippians, read a few verses, choose one of those verses just to meditate on, maybe think about it, pray, throughout, pray about it throughout the day, and see what God does just over those three weeks. Or, or maybe you've got a friend that's struggling or needs help or is lonely or maybe just curious. Just, just dream with me. What can happen if you challenge them to a six-week challenge just to come with you to church for six weeks straight, just to hear the word preached and to sing the word and see it lived out by a community of people and just see how it can affect our lives? Or just maybe that's you. And maybe the, the challenge is just to attend yourself for six weeks straight and see what God could do. Maybe you've 
haven't gotten to a group, just think, what, if it, what would it look like to, jo- to commit to a group for six to eight weeks just to read the word together in community and see what could happen? And the reason I'm saying all this and giving these challenges is because a challenge like this, it totally changed my life. You know, I went to a camp. I, I heard the gospel that week as a high school kid. And looking back on that week, that was a major turning point in my life. And quite honestly, while I was there, I, I didn't think much of it. But then I left that week. I was challenged to a 30-day challenge to read my Bible every single day. I was given a devotional that came with a couple of Bible verses attached to it every, every day. And that day-after-day devotional for 30 days, I did it. I mean, I, I, missed, I missed a few days. But over those 30 days, along with that week at camp, was by far the greatest turning point in my life. In like six weeks, I was a totally different person. The trajectory of my life was totally altered. And after those 30 days, I got a study Bible. And every single day, my junior year of high school, going into my senior year, I was just devouring the Word. And not because I was anything special, because believe me, I was not. (laughs) No, the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart through the power of the Word. And how did this happen? Well, because the good news of the gospel was preached. The word was proclaimed. The word of God by the power of the spirit in a very personal way was transforming my life. And you know, I didn't even realize it. And so when we as a church, like we want to see lives changed. And I know from personal experience, the type of life change we want to see, it will only happen if the word is present and the spirit is moving. And so let me just ask, what is God calling you to? I hope whatever it is, I hope whatever God is calling you to, it will involve his word. Because I have a lot of confidence with the word and with the power of the spirit, our lives can be totally transformed. Let's pray. God, you're good. God, the word is good. God, we need it daily. God, we need to daily just be saturated by the word of God. When we're armed with the word, the enemy runs and flee in fear. God, we, when, we're, when we're saturated by the word and devouring the word, God, you are changing our lives. You're making us more like yourself. And so, God, we pray just as a people, we would be a, a people that just long for the word in community. And we would look back on this day and know that you have changed us because of the word and by the power of the spirit. We ask for your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.